Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. This show is part of the book club series where we feature a book each month and have a conversation with some of the incredible authors in our network. Enjoy the conversation and you can check out all of the great books and resources on our website www.redletterchristians.org. I know a lot of us tonight are thinking of uh, the horrible act of, of really terrorism, white supremacy, the young 18-year-old um, that uh, targeted the community in Buffalo yesterday. And so let's take just a moment to breathe in together. Welcome to Red Letter Christians Book Club. It's going to be a great night, but let's remember all those who were terrorized yesterday in Buffalo and those who lost their lives for the families there in New York. And uh, for courage on our part um, that we would honor their lives by doing more than just thoughts and prayers, but that we would take action to end gun violence. So uh, uh, hopefully this can put a new resolve to, to take action on, on the gun violence and the mass shootings as horrific as they are, you know, and they, of course, you know, gra- grab our hearts, especially when something so racially motivated like this one, uh, but they're also less than 1% of our gun deaths in the country. So um, there's over a hundred lives lost every day. And I was just looking at our, our van. We just had a shooting here and our van, actually uh, one of the bullets went into our van here and, this is just recently, and I've got all these little, these are casings that I've gathered from our garden. So it's very heavy on many of our hearts, this, this gun violence. So um, as the, the incident happened yesterday, we were chopping guns up uh, in um, uh, just a few hours away in Connecticut, literally chopping guns, turning them into garden tools as that shooting was happening. So Lord have mercy. So that's on on my heart, but uh, it's it's going to be a good night, y'all. Thank you for joining us. Uh, as folks trickle in, uh, we're we're live on all the different platforms now. We've I want to just tell you a few things that are on the horizon before we jump into the book study. Which, by the way, uh, we cry justice is our book we're talking about, and I'll introduce you to our friends that uh, wrote it together in just a second. But uh, first of all, there uh, we've been holding actually hybrid vigils. So a virtual vigil, but also an in-person vigil around every execution. And we do that with our partners at Death Penalty Action. There's an execution scheduled this week on Tuesday. And so we that'll be in the evening. We'll have a vigil so you can join us as we um, uh, we're also doing everything we can in between these executions to try to stop them. So we're delivering thousands and thousands of signatures on a, peti- a petition tomorrow to try to stop Tuesday's execution. There's uh, take action steps that you can make um, on Death Penalty Action's website. There's a whole string of executions, y'all, that got back up during the pandemic. And so like Oklahoma, just in Oklahoma, they have 27 executions that they're wanting to do uh, as soon as possible. They're going to schedule them three weeks apart. So between 27 and 30 executions. So we got to, we got to put our voices together and put our bodies together to, to try to end the death penalty. So join us on Tuesday night, if you can, for the vigil. Uh, We've also got 
this faith forum, which I'll tell you more about at the end, but Reverend Liz Theo Harris and Bishop Barber are going to come together for to tell us more about the Poor People's Campaign and the March on Washington. Uh, so tell everybody you know to join us on May 24th. So just a little over a week or so, May 24th at 7 o'clock, Reverend Liz will be back and Reverend Barber to, uh, to talk about the Poor People's Campaign. We'll talk about it a little bit tonight, but we're, we're going to focus on the book and really dive into the Poor People's Campaign on the 24th. And make sure it's on your calendars. We'll mention it a few times probably, but June 18th is one of the biggest mobilizations that the Poor People's Campaign has done. So plan on be all past lead to DC on January 18th. So plan on coming if you can. You can also join virtually. I'm sure uh, we'll hear there's buses kind of coordinated coming all over the country. Um, and just a couple other things on June 1st, every on the first of every month, Red Letter Christians, ho we host common prayer. Uh, we do prayer together at nine o'clock in the morning. And uh, this June 1st is going to be Randy and Edith Woodley, who are incredible friends. They're also Native American theologians, indigenous theologians. They're farmers. They're wonderful. And we're going to talk about creation care together on June 1st at 9 a.m. And we'll pray together. So mark your calendar on that. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that next month, our book is, you ready? A little drum roll. Um, Reverend Sharon Risher's book, for such a time as this, uh, Reverend Risher is a really close friend and partner, Red Letter Christian. She's a dear friend. She, uh, among the many things that she talks about is losing her mom in the racially motivated attack on Emanuel AME Church. Her mom or two cousins or family was killed. And she um, is a force for love and for peace and healing in the world. So it's going to be a gift to read her book together, and she'll be with us next month. It's also Gun Violence Awareness Month next month, June, June is. So um, they'll, all that's happening. And uh, we, if you haven't checked the Red Letter Christians website out lately, go there and check it out because we got all kinds of new stuff. You can also get on our, our newsletter list and all that stuff. So, okay, that's enough. Great. Thanks for joining us. Now here we go, y'all. Woo! I'm gonna I'm gonna first introduce my friend Reverend Liz Theo Harris, who I've got Liz, you gotta see this. So this is I've got this on my wall. This goes back to you might not be able to see it very well, but this is um what is from the church takeover in 1995, and it's uh, a, a young right. woman named Destiny wrote the words we shall overcome. And uh, it says we, it, and it's spelled wonderfully, you know, just very, uh, it says we yeah. shall overcome, we shall overcome. Oh, deep in my heart, I do believe that we shall overcome someday. So that's hanging on my wall. And it reminds me of, of uh, where we really started organizing together. And Liz and I were uh, college students in Philadelphia and uh, a group with the Kensington Welfare Rights Union had taken over this abandoned cathedral just a couple of miles from where I am right now. And it sparked a student solidarity movement. It's also where uh, I certainly know we, we began to realize how deeply connected our faith is to caring about poverty and justice. And so um, I always say, I won't tell you all the stories of what we did back in then, because some of it was, uh, you know, you don't tell all those stories when you're 20, but 
we had a blast and um, we've marched together hundreds of miles. We've gone to jail together. And now, of course, uh, Reverend Liz's latest uh, uh, energy, uh, so much of it is being uh, going into the Poor People's Campaign, where she's the co-chair with Bishop Barber. So good to see you, Liz. And uh, and and we've got two other friends it's that I'm going to let you saying. introduce. We've got Reverend Melanie and Becca. So I'll let you introduce them. And then I, I can't wait to talk about uh, We Cry Justice together. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, so indeed, it's, it's so great to be with you here, Shane. And thanks for inviting me to this book club. Um, it's just, it's awesome. Uh, can you hear me still? I, yeah, okay, we great. can hear you. Yeah. All right. So it's, um, it's really my great honor. So we cry justice reading the Bible with the poor people's campaign that we're going to talk about tonight it has 33 amazing contributors in it. Um, folks that are playing all kinds of amazing roles, leading the poor people's campaign, organizing in their communities, organizing in churches. And, and two of those of uh, powerful leaders are, are with us this evening. Um, Reverend Melanie, Mul Melanie Mullen, who um, uh, runs much of the justice work of the Episcopal Church um, under presiding Bishop Bishop Curry, um, has been uh, in D.C. with the Poor People's Campaign, with uh, anyone of conscience and goodwill um, fighting. And um, it's it's great to have Melanie here with us. And also Becca Forthis, Forsyth, um, out of Elmira, New York, um, part of the New York Poor People's Campaign, um, uh, one of our state committee organizers right now, um, leading up to, to the June mobilizations. Um, and also uh, uh, both of these amazing folks are a part of the Freedom Church of the Poor, Iglesia del Pueblo, uh, much of the, the organizing work that's happening. And, and so uh, it's, it's great to be with everyone and, and uh, uh, in community um, talking about uh, God and justice and, and what we need to be doing um, to make uh, God's reign here on earth. So uh, Shane, let's, yes. let's, let's, let's go let's for it, it, right? Yeah. Reverend Melanie and Becca, thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to hear more of you. We're going to dive in. So I, I never assumed that everybody did their homework, but this book, y'all, is beautiful. And if you don't have it yet, you should, because it is a cloud of witnesses. You said, I think, 33 different contributors. And the, I, I love collaborative work because I really think that's um, how we, we're, we're wiser together. We see the full picture better from different social locations and perspectives. And it's this harmony of voices. And you've organized it so, so beautifully. It's got different sections. Um, Jubilee and struggle and lament and uh, liber the days of liberation, learn as we lead, the advent of revolution, the birth of a movement. So there, and it's very readable, y'all. It's just uh, like a few pages each. It's almost like a just enough to chew on. You could read a little piece each day or each evening together. And I wanted you to tell us a little bit about where you know where the idea came from, Liz, and, and the subtitle. I think captures it so well, right? Reading the Bible with the poor people's campaign, because what's important is not just how we do our hermeneutics and everything, but who we're reading the Bible with, right? And, and who we're listening to as we interpret it. No, that's right. And, and I mean, this is just like a, such an exciting project and such a, a really important devotional. And, and I encourage folks to 
to get hold of it. And, um, you know, you can, you can read it every day. You can read it every week. There are 53 different um, contributions from, from 33 different folks. We, we do know that there's only 52 weeks in a year, but, but we thought that it would be helpful to have, have 53. Um, that way, you know, you need to study the Bible even more one week, you know, it's, it's right there for you. Um, and, and, and the way that the, the, the book came together was uh, we have a cohort of leaders um, that are connected to the Cairo Center and connected to the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for more revival, um, who have been engaging in what does it look like for us to engage in a, a battle for the Bible in our lives today, right? We know when we look at history yeah. um, that, that movements of the people and those most impacted by injustice have had to struggle um, with, with our, our holy book and our holy text. Um, yeah. uh, because, uh, as Willie Baptist, one of my, uh, colleagues and, and someone that Shane, you and I, uh, go way back with says that, you know, the Bible is one of the, the, the main forms, the only forms of mass media that has something good to say about the poor. Um, and yet mm. it is twisted and distorted in, in so many ways. Right. And so, so this, this book is actually about putting the Bible and different passages of the Bible in conversation with, with both people organizing today, poor people organizing today, people of faith organizing today, and then in the process, reinterpreting those texts, um, some of which have mm. been used to, to abuse us, to hurt us, to justify an action in the face of, of, of deep and spread poverty. Um, and in some, in some cases, you know, some of our favorite Bible passages that inspire us to keep on going as we build a movement, right? Um, yeah. And so, so this is a, you know, a, amazing devotional um, and, and especially amazing because of what you said before, Shane, which is who has actually contributed um, to, uh, to that process, to that book. Um, so you have low-wage workers, folks without health care. You have um, pastors of, of churches. You have rabbis um, of different synagogues that are engaged in this work, but who are, are saying that um, it does not have to be this way. This is not as good as it gets. This is not the, the world that God um, wills uh, and, um, and that we as people and people of faith have, have a role to play in the righting of wrongs and the bringing of God's reign. And so... Um, you know, I think also you were you were talking a little bit about the the different you know pieces um, sections of the book. I mean, it's basically kind of a, a liturgical calendar. You know, you have uh, you know right now we're in the um, we're in the Easter tide, um, but it's 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 days of liberation. I mean, that's what those yeah. bibl that biblical season is, right? You know, as we uh, you know prepare for Christmas. Uh, you know, what we know we're getting ready for is revolution. So we call it the advent of revolution, right? Um, when, when we, when mm -hmm. we, when we, when we birth uh, Jesus and, and the church, it's the birth of a movement. You know, it's, it's church is not church because it's beautiful walls. We all know that. I know red letter Christians is clear about that, but it's, it's because a movement is breaking through. And so, so we've organized this book, you know, in a whole kind of new liturgical season um, and, and with, you know, some of the, the real saints um, that are organizing yeah. all across the country. And so, so it's, it's, so it's amazing. Good. And, yeah. and so many good people here with us. Yeah. And we've got two of the other, you know, crafters of this book with us tonight. And I wanted to bring you in first, uh, 
Becca, because one of the reasons we were uh, a couple minutes late uh, getting on the call was because you were you, the, the Holy Spirit was moving over at Freedom Church of the Poor. So I wanted you to tell us a little bit about that, but then tell us, you know, um, about uh, the what what you contributed, you know, in in the in the book. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah, Freedom Church of the Poor is just literally the spiritual home of our movement family. It's a place where we can all come together across all lines of division and build back this book that we were given that has been stolen from us. And, and it's just such a beautiful community. I really, really love it. And I really mm. want to thank you so much for the opportunity to come in here today. This is really an honor for me. As I, as we said at the top, my name is Becca Forsythe and I am in Elmira, New York. And I came here tonight because I want to tell you something really important. I came to spread the gospel, mm. the gospel as it was intended, a message from our savior, this revolutionary named Jesus, the brown skinned Palestinian Jew who was killed by police brutality in an effort to intimidate and silence a movement a movement of love and justice, a movement dedicated to the poor. In summary, I come to tell you today that the good news of Jesus was brought when he led the first Poor People's Campaign. Good news Ooh. to the poor looks like a world of abundance given to all of us by an all-knowing creator of the universe. The Bible tells us that, if, that we serve a loving God, who made sure that there is enough resources for each and every one of us. If we would mm -hmm. heed his word and follow his law, we would see that there is enough for each and every one of us. If we would just follow his commandment, love each other as I love you, we could have it all. Mm -hmm. I find that that's the key, not just the key to loving God and following him, but the key to building the beloved community that I believe we are all called to do. This is at the heart of my being, the heart of my organizing, and what led me to the chapter that I offered in We Cry Justice. You see, I've been labeled a radical by some folks because I believe crazy things like everybody has a right to live. And I have the nerve, no, the gall to actually believe that's true. I believe that we were all made in the image of God and we have the inherent dignity and value just based on the thought that God chose each and every one of us and breathed his breath of life into our lungs. Mm. I suspect that it was some of these sort of extreme and crazy views that led Reverend Liz and her team to ask me to collaborate on We Cry Justice. I've been an organizer with the Poor People's Campaign since 2018, and I see it as a way to move us to the third reconstruction and a new way of doing things, a new way that is as old as time itself. You see, I see the Bible as the most effective organizing handbook ever written and a powerful tool that some are trying to take from us. Understandably, I mean, when you think about what it can do. So Liz's team gave me a piece of scripture and asked me to pair it with a famous quote and make it walk down the street with my activism as I participate in my own community. The scripture I was given was the moment on Palm Sunday when Jesus comes into Jerusalem and the Pharisees are harassing him because his followers are going crazy yelling, hail to the king. And he's coming riding in on this donkey 
with his group of freedom fighters. Well, okay, disciples, you know, apostles, whatever we want to call them. And he just smoothly tells them if they were quiet, the stones themselves would stand up. I really wanted to get into Jesus's head in that moment. Some may not know this, but Jerusalem was accessible through a series of gates around the city. Jesus was coming in by the way of the Eastern Gate or the Golden Gate. Hmm. Coming in the Western Gate directly across the city was Pilate and the parade of military hardware that was Rome, the oppressor in their imperial garb. Pilate was riding a white stallion surrounded by Roman soldiers with all their shiny armor and spears, intent and intimidating and terrifying this Jewish population, as oppressors like to do. Jesus is surrounded by people that are suffering deeply in pain that's being inflicted by this empire, and they wanted to make sure he saw them. Hmm. What was he thinking about? with these people that were crying on the road. He knew each one of them intimately, as God knew us as we were being knit together in our mother's womb. He knew their pain, their fear, the violence being committed against them. He knew that each and every one of them and what they experienced and how they'd been hurt and what they expected. Many of those fears and pains are still happening today, inflicted by a newer version of the same death-dealing empire. I see the people in my community in a very similar way as to those who would have been in Jerusalem that day. They thought their prayers had been answered. All hail the conquering hero, only to miss the point of what was about to happen completely. And these religious scholars of the day who were preaching to protect the status quo, pay your taxes and follow the law or die, you know, the real heart of the gospel. They were promoting these false moral narratives, like if you were paralyzed since birth, it must be because you sin. Or why don't you just get a job? You know, that would solve all your problems. I'm sure there were some big name preachers there in the Pharisees, just like today. And they were taunting Jesus and telling him to quiet this crowd. In this moment, one week before the end of his earthly ministry, does he lash out? Does he call some scriptural passage to belittle them and let them know how far off the mark they are? No, he just simply says, if they were quiet, the stones themselves would cry out. When the pain and the suffering is that deep, I can't help but believe that if we fail to cry out, that pain must be absorbed into the ground. That's too much power to just wither and flit away. And it was that that I had in mind when I wrote this excerpt from the chapter that I submitted for We Cry Justice, The Power That the Ground Holds. Mm. He responded, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Perhaps he was referring to the power that the ground holds when it absorbs that much pain and misery. What if the earth can't help but to feel what we feel? If we aren't compelled to cry out, perhaps the planet herself will have to mourn. For a time, all the pain that I knew kept me locked, unable to understand the connectedness of all of these stories. I saw each of us as a separate grief. Once I discovered the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, I quickly learned about the pattern that was embedded in it all. 
These incidents were inter inextricably interwoven with the evils of systemic racism, poverty, the war economy, and ecological devastation. I learned that those in power create false moral narratives that tell us that we get what we deserve and that if we don't have enough to survive, it's our own fault. I saw how my neighbors were not disconnected people with faulty processors, but insects caught in the same web. That's when I decided that I had to become an organizer, an ally, a freedom fighter. I had to help my brothers and sisters break free from the tyranny that's all around us. I don't know what else to do, but mm. to cry in the loudest voice I could muster, everybody's got a right to live. All and right. I started to scream over and over. And then I noticed, I realized that more folks were joining the movement. The more we screamed together, the more of my friends joined us. Maybe I wasn't out here alone. Maybe, just maybe, there were other folks who cared just as deeply. Maybe they were moved by their own pain and the pain that the ground had absorbed underneath them, just like I was. Maybe the power that made us so strong that it moved us to action and is continuing to make us cry out. These cries create the conditions for change. Jesus came into Jerusalem with a nonviolent army of the poor crying out for change. The established leaders refused to hear those cries and tried to silence them, thinking that if they killed the movement leader, the movement itself would end. Mm. But that movement didn't end. It grew. Mm. And this movement is growing. And we have been given this amazing land of abundance. And I refuse to believe the lies of scarcity. Instead, I will speak out with my movement family and we will not be silent anymore. Mm. And we will be in Washington, D.C. on June 18th to cry out to each other together. There we go. That's I right. hope to see you Everybody's all Everybody's got a right. That's right. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me and forward together. Not one step back. Not one Woo. step back. Y'all thought you were coming to book club, but it's church tonight. Come on, Freedom Church. You shouldn't uh, have book club on Sunday, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Becca, for bringing your heart, for bringing the word. And I mean, that's one of the, the refrains that you hear in the book over and over is that if it's not good news to the poor, it's not the gospel. I mean, Jesus says that from the inauguration of his, his ministry that I've come to preach good news to the poor. Some 2000 verses of scripture talking about God's heart for the poor and justice uh, for the oppressed. So thanks for bringing it. And we're going we're gonna to keep diving in. But I want to bring you in, Melanie, because you did a beautiful section of this. And I, I'm, I want to ask, a, a, I want us to talk a little bit about this myth of scarcity, but we can do that in a minute. First, I want you to, because you talk about that some, but I, I want you to uh, say a little bit about what the project meant for you and, you know, the contributions that you made to it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, but what is church other than a really good news book club? <laughs> so amen <laughs> to all of that. And um, this work has been uh, just a privilege uh, for me personally and for the institutions I get to carry with me to engage and really, really do the work that we claim we want to do, that we pray about, that we think about. But there's such a disincentive for institutional church leaders, theologically trained folks to really do theology from the bottom up, to yeah. really understand 
that this is a work where Jesus is talking about how to overcome empire. And so to be able to really honestly enter that space um, and see where the Holy Spirit is moving, because it is, she is in so many places where we get to hear the voices of the poor. So um, like I said, it's a privilege. And I see the passion of folks who get in this book, who hear testimonies online, who go to Freedom Church online. They are set on fire and realize that God is calling them to really live their faith in new ways, but they just got to learn how. So I think this is a great opportunity to reach out and help people hear voices and learn how to do solidarity better. Yeah. That's it. So let's, one of the themes that was really in your piece, Melanie, and in in several different pieces of the book, Liz really kicks it off with this idea that, um, uh, you know, the poor will always be with you. And, and, and this, this idea of uh, scarcity, right? I think one of the, the really faithful uh, declarations of our faith is that God didn't mess up and make too many people or not enough stuff Uh, but that we've created poverty, uh, you know, by our own greed and by uh, creating this inequity that things like Jubilee, things like the communion table are kind of showing us another way, right? And I think of that verse in Proverbs, it says, give me neither poverty nor wealth, for in my poverty, I might be forced to steal and in my riches, I might forget my God. So there is enough, right? And uh, Liz, I've heard you say, you know, there's no scarcity of resources, just a scarcity of willpower, right? To, to actually do something to make sure everybody has this day their daily bread. So why don't you start us with, um, dig, you know, say a little bit more, uh, uh, either Liz or Melanie, about the, uh, the uh, you know, the myth of scarcity. And Becca, jump in anytime, too. So you want to start us, Melanie? Yeah, I mean, I was really thinking about this, this myth that we are all being coached into not just believing, but to reorganize our whole self world and identity around that scarcity happens. And that if we don't adhere to this myth, we're going to be faced with violence. We're going to be ostracized. We're going to be othered. Um, and I think like it shows up in so many ways. This, this horrible shooting this weekend on surface, it's about sort of myths of racism, but deep down also this idea that there are, you know, there's Jews and Greeks, which we know are not in the gospel, but that there's always something against you, someone who's got to get more than you, and that you're in alignment to to do this violence and, and get into a scarcity mindset against others. Um, that's the worst case scenario. But I, I love also thinking about these scriptures. I mean, Matthew is doing this revolutionary work saying God's got a vision of a world in which scarcity does not factor in. <laughs> it's just it's not in the equation. Um, there is daily bread, period and stop full sentence for all of God's children. And so I just love how like rethinking those boundaries, it's our father and this is our meal and there is enough for all, but we've got so much work to do to undo that mindset of scarcity, that mentality that some people deserve to be poor. Some people deserve to be hungry. Some people deserve to be unsafe. uh, That's so against God's desire for us as a family, as children made in the heart and love of abundance abundance that's the yeah. that's the that's the vision that's revelation that's yeah yeah and you you know you you talk about this uh, uh the lord's table as as you know this representation of everybody having enough but paul you know in first corinthians 11 is scolding the early church because they missed the whole point and they've desecrated it because some of them are hungry and some of them are you know overfed as they're coming to the table together right 
and using it to, to replicate all their little prejudices in their old system. Why, why come right. to the church and keep acting out like you do in the community um, when we should be remaking community, remaking what community right. means for us? Yeah, but it's so hard. We all do it. Churches do it all the time. And then want to um, say that it's done in the name of Jesus. And it's not. We want to call and right. live into that fresh new spirit that God invites us to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Liz, on my desk, uh, I've got, you know, this quote from Gandhi that says, there's enough for everybody's need, but not enough for everybody's greed. And you've done a lot, Reverend Liz, to kind of talk about, uh, uh, you know how we how, how we feed into this 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 idea that there's not enough and that the poor are always going to be with us. So say a little bit more about that, Liz. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, I think we can we can do it biblically and we can do it sociologically, right? So if we start right now, we live in the richest country in human history, right? We, we live in a nation that throws away many times the amount of food that it takes not just to feed those that are hungry in the U.S but that are hungry across the whole world, right? We, we live in a country that has about five abandoned houses for every homeless person. And yet tens of millions of people are without homes, right? We, we live in a moment in history when we have the best, you know, advances of medical care and equipment and, and, and you know, and yet there's been no expansion of healthcare and the worst public health crisis in, in, in generations. And, and right now we're watching babies, baby formula being, you know, off the, the shelves and, and, and moms and families being blamed for, for that fact when it's really that, that, that a monopoly of companies, you know, decided to invest in their future profits rather than uh, make sure that their factories were going to produce safe and quality formula for our kids. Um, so so again, if we talk about this sociologically, it makes no sense. Uh, we have more than enough uh, and, and poverty should not and, and could not, could not exist if we decided tomorrow to eliminate it. It's, it's not that we have to wait and come up with a plan and, and, and get some more resources and do some better planning. No, no, no. We, we have it all. But, but yet we fall back on these biblical justifications um, to keep things the way that they are. Um, and so the most famous Bible passage, as Jim Wallace likes to point out, but is true in my own life, I'm, I'm sure you've heard it plenty, Shane, is, is the idea that, that somehow God wills poverty, that the poor will be with you always, like as it's a future command or, or um, prediction um, from God and Jesus, rather than uh, a reminder that if there is poverty, it's because we are not following God's will. And over and over again, whether it's in, in the Exodus and the manna or Deuteronomy and the, the Jubilee and Sabbath prescriptions or in the community of goods of, in Acts or in the, or in the uh, collection for the poor of Paul, um, or if it's in the, the epistle of James where the wages that you failed to pay your workers are crying out against you, right? And, and starting in Genesis and going all the way to Revelation, is anti-poverty program after anti-poverty program that, that just blows out the idea that scarcity is necessity, even when thousands of years ago, there actually wasn't as much stuff. Um, but today, yeah. how can our morality not have caught up with the, with the, with the reality that uh, mm. we, we, have, we have 
not just enough. We have more than enough. We have enough for people to thrive, not just barely survive. Ooh, and I, I, you know, I'm a big believer in the Bible and I grew up, you know, in the fundamentalist world, but I've not met many, I've not met many fundamentalists, Reverend Liz, that, uh, be, that, that believe in the literal Jubilee, right? I mean, it's amazing how, right. how selective we are with our fundamentalism, right? That's right. <laughs> like, That's right. But, but this, you mentioned it is this command, you know, it's, it's actually really interesting when you read the Hebrew scriptures in the, in the, um, you know, as okay. Deuteronomy's kind of giving this idea of jubilee it begins by saying there should be no poor among you and then it says if there are poor among you and then it ends up going when the poor are among you and it's and then that's when you have the prescription of jubilee right which is that you are to systemically dismantle inequality so literally redistribute poverty release release people from debt uh, set enslaved people free, let the land rest, right? This was a prescription. And there are people who always say, yeah, but the Israelites never really did the Jubilee. And our, our friend Chad Myers goes, well, the Christians have never really done the Sermon on the Mount either, but that doesn't take away from the fact that this was God's vision, right? That's right. That's exactly right. And and it, and it is, I mean, over and over again, I mean, starting with the creation story in Genesis, with that day of Sabbath, it is, it is worked into the absolute core of our religious teachings that we should have, a, you know, a redistribution, that we ha- should have a release, right? Shemitah, Sabbath, that, that we should have the righting of wrongs and the, and, and the uh, and, and structuring society around the needs of the poor, which means that when you lift from the bottom, everyone can rise, right? And, mm. and this is just over and over again in our scriptures um and and it really is an indictment on us then mm-hmm. it really is especially those of us that call ourselves people of faith and god-fearing people and folks that that want to follow good book that yeah. if poverty exists it's on us because we have been disobedient not just as individuals but as nations as societies um to to the commandments and the instruction that we have gotten over and over again, not just one time, but over and over again. Um, God constantly is reminding us because we, we are constantly forgetting um, and messing up and, and thinking we can just hoard the wealth of the world for ourselves when, when God created enough for everybody. And, and, and so to me, it's, it's uh, it, it, again, we, we cannot read about poverty. We cannot experience about poverty without realizing that if it exists, we are not good with God. Um, yeah. And not just as a little side project, but, but the way we honor and worship God is, is by organizing society around the needs of everybody. Yes. Becca, I want to bring you in just for a second. And then Melanie, you may have something you want to chime in on too, but Becca, I, you know, it, it occurs to me that when, uh, when, Reverend Liz and I were in our 20s and we were student organizers here in Philadelphia. Um, one of the things I began to rethink was this idea that we're to be a voice for the voiceless, you know, and that there's there's plenty of people that have used that language. There's actually a scripture that talks about being a voice for the voiceless. But I, I began to see that there are a lot of Christians who are quick to stand up to be a voice for the voiceless when people actually have a voice. 
And rather than grabbing the mic, we should hold the mic. Rather than speaking for someone, we should stand behind them and uh, invite people to listen to them. So rather than, you know, being a voice for the voices to stand with one another. And that, it seems like Freedom Church of the Poor is, is, is a different model, right? It's not this model that the church exists uh, to be charitable to the poor, but actually uh, poor and marginalized folks, low wealth folks actually understand the gospel and they're, uh, they're the center of this movement, but are also have special ears to hear the good news and liberating word of God, right? So talk a little bit more about the Freedom Church and how you see that, Becca. You are absolutely right. And, and I do not see myself as a voice for the voiceless. I see myself as someone who's trying to build the biggest stage and get the greatest set of amplifiers so that when we plug that microphone in, everyone's going to hear what these prophets have to say. Mm-hmm. Last week, we had uh, Stephanie Houseup, who's a, an organizer with the Ithaca Starbucks Union. And to listen to her talk about, now I spent 13 years as a fast food worker at McDonald's. So I know what it's like when things happen, like your grease trap breaks. That's really disgusting. That happened at their store after they unionized. And the boss said, that's too bad. You can deal with it until Monday. We'll come in on Monday and fix it. And they said, oh, no, I don't think we will. I think we're going on strike. And it was fixed in a couple hours. Like, that's what power is. And, like, I hear her tell these stories, and I'm like, 13 years at McDonald's, I can't even dream of what that would have been like to be able to walk out the door and just know, you know what? Someone's fixing this. I'm not staying. I'm not dealing with this. It's not okay. That is an amazing power. And it was beautiful to be able to bring her on to Freedom Church and have her talk about solidarity with all these folks. We had folks from other unions. This weekend, we had an event with uh, the farm workers unions to listen to folks that just never had the opportunity to have someone stand up with them Mm. and to have this just incredible power. It's, ah, I don't have enough awesome words for it. It's great. Thanks. So, to amen and amen to that, um, Becca brought up that that S word, that solidarity. Um, that's another huge invitation for the the so called Christians out there. Uh, even if you are not as skilled in um, growing up and being understanding the literal biblical scriptures, the idea that ethically you know we're supposed to be in right relationship, if, if theologically you know we're supposed to be in right relationship, and we're not in right relationship. If folks who are the voices of those who are oppressed, if those who are the experiencing communities of oppression or suffering, don't get their voices heard. And I think um, I, I have seen when folks who are from those privileged bubbles log into Freedom Church of the Poor or they listen to some testimonies from the Poor People's Campaign, they get it. They're like, oh, my goodness, I can only be in solidarity when I listen to the voice of my sibling and God and creation and justice and righteousness. But that solidarity is, is so key. Uh, we call it right relationship or reconciliation, but we can't do it when some folks are spot- talking for the other. When the grass tops are talking for the grassroots, it's that bottom up, that that Holy Spirit coming from the ground again that like we are called to do. And so I, once again, every time we have a chance to log in to Freedom Church of the Poor, listen to the testimonies of Poor People's Campaign, to meet our neighbors who are suffering. We're doing that work. We're opening that path to really hearing that testimony witness. Yeah, yeah it's, it seems like one of the biggest challenges uh, for a lot of folks is not a compassion problem, but a proximity problem. Uh, a, there's a relational disconnect, a geographical disconnect, right? That 
until these issues affect us, it's hard to have that fire in our bones. And I mean, I think some people have said, well, that privilege is simply being able to care which issues uh, to choose, which issues you care about and which ones you don't. For a lot of folks, healthcare uh, chose them, you know, uh, gun violence chose them. And so, uh, you know, with with everything the poor people's doing, poor people's movement's doing, it's it's really amplifying and centering the people who have been most impacted. And I don't know if, if some of you want to share other ways that people can lean in, you know, and and begin to really connect with folks, because uh, not only is it good for our souls, but it, I think it really does help us understand the gospel better, right? Uh, it, it really is about like reading the Bible from the bottom up. Uh, or one of my friends, Bob Eckblad, wrote a book with folks incarcerated called Reading the Bible with the Damned, you know, and, and uh, that that's, you know, it helps us understand things better when we're with those who have suffered, right? I love that. I, I just got to, I'm going to quote you in a lot of sermons now about a proximity problem is what we have. Our souls are shriveled by lack of proximity. And I mean, when I wrote my little pieces, all I could think about were examples where when folks just took the time to draw a three mile circle on a map from where they lived or where they went to church and realized they know no one that lived there. They'd never been to a laundromat. They'd never seen a facility. But once they took the time to make one relationship, their whole world turned upside down. The Holy Spirit did that inversion of power for them, but it was taking the time to go to the laundromat, to meet somebody who was incarcerated, to really open that word for the spirit so that their proximity problem turned into right relationship. But yeah, you've got to, you've got to take, it's easy, but you've got to take that first step. Yeah. Yeah. And Reverend Liz, say this, say a little bit about, um, you know, you know me well enough to know that I, I've got some anarchistic roots. You know, I come from the Catholic worker, the Jacques Ellul, Bernard Eller, like Christian anarchism. And it's hard for me to uh, I get real discouraged with the uh, lack of I mean, it just seems like it's so easy to open a Guantanamo Bay and so hard to close one. It's so easy to start a war, but so hard to, to end one. And like our politicians seem to be making such little concrete progress on gun violence, on immigration, on, I mean, my gosh, it, sometimes it feels like we're going backwards, you know, on, and, and, and so um, what, what keeps your hope? I, I have hope. But my hope is in Jesus and my hope in politicians feels like I, I'm, it's dwindling, Liz. So uh, how do we keep keep kind of pushing forward, knowing that not everything comes from the top down, but we need politicians to do some stuff, right? We, we do. But we also know that that how change happens and how those politicians even uh, contribute to that change is is when you build power from the bottom. Right. Um, so. Uh, you know, I, I love this quote from Dr. King where he says, um, you know, power for poor people will, will really mean having the assertiveness, the aggressiveness, and the togetherness mm. to, to make the power structures of the nation say yes when they have been saying no. Mm. Um, and, and so it's, it's like we're not waiting to be saved. We don't think that one policy is going to do it all. We don't think that 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 uh, our politicians and our elected officials are going to get a chance to to, to free. Um, but 
but when we build the kind of compelling power, when we come together across all the lines that divide us, when, when, when you know, as Bishop Barber says, the, the, those rejected lead the revival, that's when, you know, in abolition, in civil rights, in women's suffrage, in labor rights, and, and today, as we are trying to, to address systemic racism and poverty and ecological devastation and the denial of healthcare and militarism and this false, this lie mm. of religious nationalism, especially white Christian nationalism uh, and white supremacy, that, 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 you know, the Achilles heel, the weak point, the, 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 the way we're going to get over this is by mm. uniting people at the bottom to be able to implore and, and build the kind of power that I will know that's right. make, yeah. make, you know, uh, walls tumble and, and the right get righted, um, the wrong get righted. So I was with uh, sister Helen Prejean, you know, we've been doing a lot on the death penalty. And, and one of the things that she says is water doesn't boil one big old bubble from the top. She said it, it boils from the bottom, right? It starts to steam that's a little right. bit. You that's get right. the, little, the little bubbles start to come up first. And then before long, that whole water's boiling. So I, I hope we're, we're, uh, we're getting that, that water boiling these days. Um, boy, this hour has flown by. We got a question from somebody on Facebook that says, uh, it seems the bottom uh, can be divided. How do we reconcile the division? This is Peg on Facebook that, uh, you know, and I think it's also been said that the um, some of the final blows of colonization and occupation can be uh, people who have uh, been hurt um, dividing against each other. And there's lots of principalities and powers that seem to pit people's interests uh against the kind of common good or beloved community. And so you want to say, one of you want to respond to Peg that, you know, it feels like we're divided everywhere, including uh, folks that are needing to change most. I, I can always say, but, but Becca, you want to say anything about that? Well, you know, I mean, that that's the whole game, right? Like their, their whole job is to pit one half of the poor against the other half of the poor, and that puts all of their problems at ease. But that's exactly the beauty of this movement is to work across these lines of division and do everything we can to close that line of proximity and make sure that we are in community with each other and in communion and in love and making sure that that message is always out there, that, that we were all made in the image of God, every single one of us. Mm. And that by itself means that we are worthy. Mm. We're going to have a meeting, you know what? And y'all have a right to be there. Y'all got to be at the meeting because that's what this is all about. Mm. That's it. Well, uh, I, I want to each, each of you um, to have a chance to give us a last word. I mean, the hour flew by um, and we can start with you, uh, Reverend Liz, and, and uh, so first of all, make sure you all remember June 18th to join us in D.C., uh, Red Letter Christians. We're going to try to get everybody that we can there. Tell everybody that you know to join in person if you can, but online uh, um, if, if you're not able to make it in person. Um, and Reverend Liz, you got, you got any closing thoughts? And again, if y'all haven't, if you don't have your copy of We Cry Justice, this is a, a rich uh, book um, and it's, it's got so many different beautiful voices in it. So we are just scratching the surface tonight, but Reverend Liz, you got any uh, closing words? I mean, mostly just to, to indeed um, 
whether it's because we're being divided, um, what we're seeing is that people are coming together and, and we need people to come together on June 18th. Uh, we need to um, cry out in a large voice, um, a diverse voice, uh, young and old and queer and straight and, and black and white and native and Latino and Asian and everybody voice um, uh, that, you know, somebody's been hurting our people. It's gone on for far too long and we won't be silent. And so we're not anymore right yeah, and, and so right. so uh it's it's always powerful to be uh with you and um i look forward to seeing folk in june uh and and you know and then from there because we have a lot of work to do forward together not one step back and uh reverend not becca tell us uh Give us a closing word, uh, uh, Becca, and and, uh, and and also make sure, I'm not sure that we heard the exact time or website for Freedom Church of the Poor, so let people know one more time how they can become a regular part of, of, of that community. Absolutely. Freedom Church of the Poor is broadcast on Facebook Live through the Cairo Center website every Sunday night at 6 p.m. La Iglesia del Pueblo is our Spanish sister, and they come on at 7.30 uh, on Sunday nights. The first Sunday of the month, we do a combined service where it's bilingual, and we try to make sure that we are touching on as many voices as we can from all different pieces of the movement. Uh, it's a beautiful time to come together. And again, I just I want to thank the Poor People's Campaign for helping me to come back to this book. Mm. Because the Bible was stolen from me, and I was taught that its job was to teach me how small and quiet I was supposed to be. And meeting folks like Reverend Liz and hearing things like the way she helps me to analyze when they say things like the poor will always be with you. It really helps me to restore my faith and, and my, my love with this book and this revolutionary who said so many deep things that we just, we don't spend the time to really hear the message of revolutionary love. And I'm thank you. Thank you for letting us come in and talk about that. Oh, absolutely. It's been just a gift to be together. And, uh, uh, and, and this book's a gift too. So thank you for your, your piece of it. And, uh, uh, Reverend Melanie, uh, give us a word, give us a word. And then I don't know if you saw in the chat, I was wondering if you'd pray us out tonight too. So great. I'm, I'm happy to pray you out. I'm, I'm trying to recover. Becca is making me cry, but that just reminds me of how important this work is, this praxis is, this is our prayer. And that we've already been called. We know the Lord's prayer. We know these, these bits of Bible from our youth, from where we come from, and to remember it, we enter in them in the name of justice and God's world. And so we've got a lot of work to do forward together and not one step back. But um, I'm happy to pray a prayer that I would love to borrow, but um, helps me see the world and our charge in the right way. Um, so may God bless you with discomfort at those easy answers and half truths and superficial relationships that we can live deep in our hearts. May God bless you with anger at injustice and oppression and the exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with the tears to shed at pain and rejection and poverty and hunger so that you would reach out your heart and hand to comfort and turn pain into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness Mm. To believe that you can make a difference in this world so that what others claim cannot be done can be done in the name of God. Go in peace, justice, love, and mercy. Woo. Glory be. 
Oh, man. We'll see you in D.C. on the 18th. And we'll see uh, Liz, Reverend Liz and Reverend Bar Bishop Barber on the 24th of this month. And uh, Reverend Melanie, Becca, Liz, Reverend Liz, you all are a gift. So thanks for this night. Thank you. Thank you. Great night. Thanks so much. We hope you've enjoyed this special Red Letter Christians Book Club conversation. The loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or faithful voices. We know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. So thank you for listening to the Red Letter Christians podcast, where we are aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said.